Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. How y'all doing? I know that the quality of this picture is a lot lower than typical, and that's because there's no light in this hotel room because it's pouring rain outside. You can't stop the rain. Um, This episode of Small Doses is a revisit of a classic episode with hedge fund founder Arlen Hamilton called Side Effects of Being Underestimated. And you know what? I feel like so often we, we talk about underestimation, we're talking about like other people underestimating us, but we, we oftentimes don't acknowledge that like we underestimate ourselves. I mean, that's the imposter syndrome of things as well. But like, I know I do that all the time and I constantly have to remind myself like, no, bitch, you got this. Like there'll be times where I'll say to myself like, damn, like if I just had this particular person, then I could make this happen. It's like, no, you can still make it happen. Or sometimes it'll be like, no, like you actually have that in your mind or it's something that it's like, okay, maybe it's a particular person with a particular expertise. And it's like, just meditate on that and you can find that person and take the next steps. But oftentimes it's not even that I need an extra person. (laughs) It's just that in my mind, I'm like, oh, I can't do it. But it's like, but you can, you can. You know, this weekend I was at the Kennedy Center and we have been planning on these three shows at the Kennedy Center for years now because COVID had stumped everything. And we did Smart Funny and Black Live. We did Small Doses Podcast Live. Shout out to everybody who came out to the live taping. And I did my stand-up. So we did an evening with Amanda Seals. The, the, the first show, Smart Funny and Black Live and Stand Up, were in the concert hall the comedy at the uh, Kennedy Center. 2.5, sorry, 2,500 seats, okay? 2,500 seats. And I got to tell you, they were sold out. Like we, we ended up selling out, like we ended up selling out these tickets. And I genuinely was so proud of myself because it just seemed like such a behemoth task to do. Now we have Seattle coming up and we have Portland and we have all these future dates, but it just felt like this right here was something that I just was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how we're going to accomplish it. And the fact that we did it was not only an accomplishment, but also showed me like you really be underestimating yourself. Like you really do have folks that rock with what you do. And oftentimes the reason why you underestimate yourself is because you're in a bubble or because you're listening to the wrong people. But this weekend really reminded me like, Amanda, the work that you have been putting in that you consistently put in, like it is begetting rewards and it will continue to beget rewards. And you need to actually acknowledge yourself for that. I was talking to my, my man and he was like, you know, I think oftentimes you don't realize that you're an ecosystem. You know, you're your own ecosystem. Like you are creating shit from 
nothing. You're creating shit from other shit that you've created before. Like you don't require an ecosystem to plug into in order for you to create. And so often that's what other folks do. And he was like, I think a lot of times you'll be looking at like, oh, I need this person or I need that person in order to, you know, advance or to, um, you know, just level up something that you're looking to do. And he was like, but those people need people like you to plug into because without that, they don't have anything to level up or to advance. And so, you know, when we think about the idea of being underestimated, when we think about the idea of how we are moving in the world and what we consider to validate us, so often it is the us ourselves that are doing the underestimating and we have to take a better look at what we are considering as the value points to how we are constructing our worth and our oppor- our expectations and our and our potential. I'm having to step into a space consciously that I know I don't think I really ever consciously stepped into, which is that I don't want a manager. I need a COO. And that's something that I've always, that's something I never truly grasped. Like I always thought like, oh, I need a manager so they can manage and, you know, be the go-between. And I realized that in the version of manager that this industry calls for, it doesn't, meet the needs that I have because I'm somebody that is always thinking of things on a macro level, but that is always involved in the thinking of those things. And a manager, and often, oftentimes these managers, they really are the ones who do that. And it's that whole idea is like, they're going to take your idea and expand it while you go over here and create. But I'm like, nah, I want to go over here and create. And then I want to go over there with you and help this idea expand. And then they feel like you're encroaching on their territory or you feel like, you know, they're, they feel like you're micromanaging them, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I ain't got time for you to be feeling like that. But for me, I really truly think that I've been underestimating myself in my capability to truly like own the fact that I do manage myself in a legitimate way. And even if it's not, um, necessarily the thing I want to be doing all the time. Like it is a thing that has like actual value because of my knowledge of my own company. And that is something that if someone's going to step into, they need to really truly understand. And I recently had someone coming into my company who I think it had the best of intentions, but didn't truly understand that for you to actually manage this in the proper way, you can't just jump in. You have to really like take almost a spiritual approach to this space. Then there's the idea of underestimating yourself about like, okay, what do I deserve? And also like, what, what do I need? And I know that this COO position, I think I was underestimating myself on like, do I have enough business to even warrant that? And there's this like TikTok sound where the chick is like, I don't like when people say like, you know, oh, I see you with your little business. No, ain't nothing little over here. It's big business, big. (laughs) And I know I'm paraphrasing, but like, that's what I had to tell myself. Like, no, like I'm not trying to create like some big multimillion dollar corporation conglomerate, et cetera, et cetera. Y'all know I don't even fuck capitalism like that, but I want to create, I want a space where I can continue to create and have options and, you know, be able to support myself and my family and my mom, et cetera. And I've been building and building to do towards that. And you have hiccups and you have parts that 
don't actually like turn out the way you think they are or people parties that turn out that don't actually turn out the way they, that you thought they would. And you know, you got to keep pivoting. You got to keep pivoting. But I definitely feel like I had underestimated the value of my own company and the value of my own vision in, in it, in it deserving somebody like a COO. And that's, that's some shit. I had to sit with that. Like, why did, like, why, why you keep trying to lily your business, Amanda? Like, why do you, why do you keep trying to do that? And I don't know, why do we, why do we do that? Is it because we want to remain humble? Possibly. Is it because we think there's a certain level of modesty that we need to retain? Possibly. Do we, is it, is it also just this constant, like, outside thing that people are trying to do to humble you? And so you're like, well, let me humble myself first before they humble me. But then you realize that like they're trying to humble you because they are jealous or because they are threatened or because they're insecure. It's not really that they're trying to humble you. They're trying to just make you shrink to make them feel bigger. Because sometimes it's like, why do you need to be humbled? If you're just living in your truth and you're moving and you're growing and you are being responsible about how you do that and you are being generous about how you do that what where's the humble part need to be put in and why does someone outside need to humble you to do need to humble you I feel like I definitely you know do the Eminem eight mile thing sometimes where it's like I'm gonna do the thing first before you can do it to me aha gotcha and then you're just like yeah but like they weren't even trying to do that so like that was really just you living in your trauma Ooh, we are living hey in now Ooh. And our trauma, 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 R T R A U M A. Ba 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 So I had to really like catch myself on that because that was not actually the thing. And what's the other reasons that we like put the lil in front of our things? I think sometimes we put the lil in front of it also because we fear. Dealing with the magnitude if, if it isn't Lil, if it is big, you know, it's like, damn, then I got to step up. I got to level up. That's responsibilities. Am I gonna, Am I ready for that? Am I willing to do that? Do I have what it takes? Scary stuff. Scary stuff. But what I love about this episode is that Arlen Hamilton shows us all that at the end of the day, it's really about finding your vision and pursuing your vision and staying true to that and sticking with that. And letting that be the bottom line, letting that be the thesis that you keep coming back to when you have those questions of of being underestimated that come to you in your mind and when people outside also are underestimating you. It's like, you can underestimate me all you want, but I know what I am doing and I know what I know what I want to do. Even if I'm figuring out how I'm going to do it, I know what I want to do and I'm sticking on that path. And you may not, you may not, you may not, you may not know or trust or believe that I can accomplish it, but that's irrelevant because I don't need you anyway. Well, but then why'd you ask me? Because I thought, I thought you could be helpful, but clearly you don't see the vision. So it doesn't matter. Keep it moving. What I love about this story is that Arlen Hamilton talks to us about how she went from being homeless and living in the San Francisco airport to eventually, eventually achieving her vision. And then her vision is about helping others achieve their vision. And she just needed one person to believe in her to get on her feet. And that's another thing I want to remind y'all. So often we underestimate the power of quantity. I mean, sorry. So often we underestimate the power of quality over quantity. You don't need everybody to believe in you. You don't. You just need the right ones. You just need the right ones. And sometimes it's just you need the right one. 
Yeah. And that can be frustrated. Um, and that can be just a definite, like, buzzkill. Um, but truth be told, you stay the course as long as you can. One of the one of the gems that I got out of this episode was Arlen telling me after this episode about, you know, when it comes to investing, hold out as long as you can. You know, you may have an idea that you're like, I don't want to put my own money into it. So you don't need to hold out because you're going to just from jump street, you're going to, you know how you're going to build that. But she was like, if it's something that you've put your money into already and you already on it and you've been pushing it, hold out as long as you can. Because once you bring in an investor, now you're talking to them. You have to answer with them. She's like, it's not, it's not to say that they have like, you know, the full run of the country company and you got to answer to them, but now you got to have conversations with them and you may not want to do that. And you may not have to do that if you are staying the course. So I welcome you all in this summer replay to check out Arlen Hamilton's advice, her knowledge, her wisdom on what it means for side effects of being underestimated. Remember to like, subscribe, and all that good shit. Welcome to another episode of Small Doses, where today we are joined with a different kind of guest. Now, see, typically I'd be having real artsy fartsy people on here or woo-woo, you know, people who are like, you know, the astrology and the stars and the skies. And I really want to make sure that we are having a well-rounded uh, set of conversations here at Small Doses. Uh, just... You know, full disclosure to our guests, the first three years of, just doing, of doing this podcast was a lot of just me talking, okay? It was a lot of just me on here just talking and pontificating. And I feel like it's time that we open up the space for other voices that know about things that I don't really know about. I have, I ain't a dummy. But I feel like uh, the expertise that we are going to be shared with today is, um, it makes us very lucky folks. We have Ms. Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, joining us. Arlen uh, is a, okay, actually, you know what? Because I don't even want to. I don't even want to get this wrong. How do you categorize yourself? Because I feel like I read a couple different things and I know that I People like will call me an actress, and I'm like I act, but I'm a comedian. So mm. like, how do you? Mm. How do you? I like that. Yourself? I like that. Well, so I'm an investor. Okay, but you can call me a venture capitalist. Okay, All so right. I love that you asked that. So what is an like? And I'll, some of these questions are going to seem very basic, Arlen, because. Uh, this interview is very much for me also just like getting some learning because I will say this, we have a lot of creatives that listen to this podcast and for creatives, business is definitely kind of this, like a lot of times this like wonky thing that you have to figure out in order to make money to continue to be a creative. (laughs) And I know for me, I usually create first and then have to figure out the business, which is not necessarily like the best order of things. Um, But it is something that is just what it is if you're trying to live off of your creativity, right? And I think as a woman, particularly my independence in that space and my knowledge base in that space has become more and more 
just the necessity for that becomes more and more apparent because every time that I try to just hire somebody to handle it, they fuck me over. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah. so yeah. to my chagrin, I've had to just like be like, you know what, Amanda, like you can't run from it anymore. Um, and so I feel like a lot of our listeners are probably in that similar space also because COVID and, you know, you have to, the financial scenario of what's going on in our nation has really forced a lot of us to have to become very intimate with our finances. So can we just start off with what is a venture capitalist? We absolutely can. And I will say that 10 years ago, I didn't know what a venture capitalist was either. There's no real reason for people to know what one is. So don't <laughs> feel bad if you don't know what it okay. is. It, it's a tool that I'm using to break in to get more capital and resources to underrepresented people gotcha. uh, that, that they deserve that, you know, this isn't a nonprofit. And so it, that's why I know so much about it today. Um, because I didn't have any money. I was broke. I, I was broke till I was 35. I had no money, didn't make more than $20,000 in any given year up until 35. Um, and had been on food stamps for some of it, homeless for some of it. And when you're trying to break into something like venture capital, which I will explain, um, and you don't have any money of your own, you can't, you can't really right. come to the table unless you figure out a way to, to bring money to you and to attract money. So that's what I, what I did. Now, um, can I just, yes. can I just interject real quick? Were you, did, did you grow up in a family that lacked money or was there a turn of events in your life that, that caused this to happen? No, we, I grew up in a family that lacked money. Very, uh, incredible mother who who is still with us and and, and listening to this I, I know and she's gonna she's gonna uh, text me about my grammar so <laughs> prepare for that <laughs> just a highly capable woman hey mom who who found herself in situations where she just didn't have enough money most of the yeah. time and my brother and I and I you know most of us we we grew up this way we, I worked since I, since I was 15 yep with that money to work at the you know for rent and things like that um, and I also had some really wonderful times. You know, we had a lot of laughter in this family, a lot of, of joy. Oh, don't feel like you need to qualify, no, like, no, whether I'm not or not. I'm that. just I'm curious because I think sometimes people conflate the difference between poor and broke, right? And No, like, I know that because I grew around, grew up around <laughs> white people. Like, I know they conflate them. <laughs> I'm going to have to dip into my savings. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're not broke then. You're not. <laughs> so you're broke. You're not no, you're poor. Broke. You're not poor then. <laughs> you just having a moment. Uh, okay. So no, I, we, I, I grew up. Um, so my mom had a, a job, you know, so we weren't under poverty level there. But once I became, you know, we had issues. And so, you know, when I became an adult, it just it never could get head above water. And um, I kind of know now why after spending so much time with both creatives. So I worked in, in the uh, in music production on the road. So it's tour managing and tour uh, coordinating ah. <clears throat> kind of character and working with entrepreneurs today. I just, you know, there's a, it's like you said with creatives, there's a different mindset. So mm-hmm. I was always um, trying to prioritize <clears throat> prioritize community and yes. reaching people and impact yes. Yes. and th- there's th- where was the money right <laughs> so, so there was that so I didn't have any certain things that just happened it was like I never I, I've never had a point before recently where I had like any kind of savings or any kind of this is what you're supposed to do with this that and the other so it was always working to kind of pay the bills the work. And yeah, and then a lot of times I'm I'm also um I will say that I'm I'm 
kind, you know, a lot of people say they're not employable. I feel that way. I I used to, I'll tell you a quick mm. story, um, just kind of put it to this, you know, a little sideways here. I worked at a kind of a porn place. Now, it wasn't, they weren't producing How is it kind of a porn place? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just do dick sucking. They don't actually be fucking. <laughs> they just kind. Sorry, mine. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> no. <laughs> no, okay. So, I was broke. Poor. And I was in my what late twenties, early mid twenties, and I was living I was living with a friend, like on their floor, and I needed a job. And so they <laughs> I was in Chatsworth, California, which is the porn capital of the world, I found out. Is it? It is. Okay. It is. Um, and so this was a place, nondescript building where they didn't produce porn, but they you had they like sold it, they're distributors. So okay. you had to look at all this this porn and give it like data entry basically <laughs> pardon so you had to like type in well this is this type of thing and i'm not going to go into because as i mentioned earlier my mother is listening but you had you know this is it was very clinical it was very oh okay can somebody throw me this one you know ask, big booty girls can somebody yeah, throw me yeah. big booty brazilians yes. five Thanks. Yes. No, let me get started on like how they categorize black people versus non. It's a whole other story. Anywho, and all that. Yeah. Anywho, I'm there and I'm working and there's this gentleman who's like five Wait, years old. Wait, let me find out there's a whole other podcast we could do with Arlen. <laughs> a whole other one. So okay. I'm good at it, right? So I get they teach me what they tell me what to do, and I'm like, okay, this is what you do. You type, and you have to. It's analytical, and I I'm good at that. So okay. I finish first few days of it early, and it's an hourly paid thing. And so there's just you have a certain number you're doing, you have to go. So I'm like, it takes me like 30 minutes to walk home. I'm gonna walk home. I'm gonna leave early because I'm finished, right? I'm not gonna just have them paying me. So I left. Oh. So, so like the third or fourth day, this young gentleman who's younger than me brings me into his office. He's my boss, quote unquote, whatever. And he brings me to his office and he's like, um, well, I heard you went home uh, early. And he has his feet on the desk. Of course. Young guy. And I'm like, yeah, and I explained to him, I got really good at it. I know what I'm doing. And I didn't wanna charge you guys too much because it's hourly. And I needed to walk home, so I was on my way. And he tried to kind of chastise me, and I just started laughing at him. And I was like, "No, like, no, I don't care enough." <laughs> and he, and he, now mind you, like that was some pot pie money, you know. I needed that money, but <laughs> I'm always just like. And he said, "Well, I need you to. You need. You can't do that again. You can't leave early again." And I was like, "That's just ridiculous." So then I, I started laughing, and I said, "You know, you need so you need someone who works for you who's not going to laugh in your face. This is not fair to you. I'm going to just go." And he's like, no, 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 come back, come back. And I said, can you just, can, I'm just going to go. We're going to, we're good. And I just left and I just walked out. And I'm like, I am so unemployable. I can't even sit still at this job without telling him what he's supposed to do as a manager. And so I, that's, that, that, partially led to why I was broke <laughs> because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't take, I can't do small talk and I can't do like fake stuff. I just can't. I you just can't sit before? still. I'm going to explain it to the master. Like, <laughs> but I just and, and you get it. called many things for that, right? So yeah. you get called difficult, you get called unemployable, et cetera, when really it's more so that you're just kind of like your own ecosystem. And it's right. very, and, and as a woman, I do feel like you, you are constantly being told that like, that's not okay. You yeah. can't be your own ecosystem. If you can't be the, 
fifth person on the, like the fifth finger on the hand. If you can't, then you're not a team player, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, no, I'm a team player. I'm just a team captain. (laughs) Exactly. And that's what I, I understood that now in this position that I'm in, all the things that my whole life had been signaled to me as wrong, being too loud, too outspoken, being, having all these ideas all at once, working on things that, you know, you, you, you can't focus all those things. Um, they work for me now and people call upon me and pay me for most of these things, you know, and, and, and pay you to teach them how to be those things. 100%. And I ask, you know, how do you, how are you like that? And it's so funny because that's why I say be authentic. And I try to get that message out in my book. It's like, you know, you can, I got here. I made it here. If I can get here being me, woo, you know, baby. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, so y'all should know, I have never met Arlen before. This is the first time I'm meeting Arlen. I have chills because that is really like the bottom line messaging of this podcast is figuring out how, like the myriad of ways to be yourself in a world that constantly tries to tell you like who you are is not enough. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting to hear that specifically as it relates to the financial sector, because I think for what it's worth, we look at that as like a very rigid, a very like uh, specific, a very white mm-hmm. male waspy kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's typically either like white male waspy or like Jewish male, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's like the two kind of yeah, Wall Street for sure. Like New yeah. York for sure. Yeah. Yes. And then Silicon Valley and the West coast um, where a lot of tech and, and venture capital comes from. It is a, very much so male and white. Uh, in fact, 90% of all venture funding goes to white men and 90% plus of the check writers are white men. And we're doing things as a group to change that in Silicon Valley and beyond. But that's where I walked into the scene was so how did you that walk number. In? Because I got to be, if I'm honest, please do. If I'm honest, I feel like I hold myself back because those spaces just feel like they're going to be so frustrating and annoying. And then if I'm really being honest with myself, I feel like I'm going to be out intellectualized. And so of those areas. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's like a large part of me that doesn't explore like what it would mean to work with those types of people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because I feel like I'm just going to end up sad. <laughs> I think you're describing imposter syndrome, which a lot of people have. Oh, yes. We've done an episode about that. I do yeah. have that. And I, do. I, so there's so many things that come to mind when you say that. One thing is, um, like, I'm a nice person. I don't want people to think that I'm not a nice person. Nobody like, thinks you're not a nice person. Yeah, I don't try to, like, come back. But I don't. I do not hold these guys in high regard when it comes to their intellect or their positioning and all that. I don't think that I'm going to get outgunned intellectually with them. I just don't know their shit. Yeah, so I don't know I either. And, 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 and I didn't know it either. Um, what I do know, though, is that I can out-research. Okay, mm. you're looking up somebody, somebody did you wrong. I don't know your orientation. I haven't, you know, searched your orientation, but your ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, whomever does I'm you wrong. I'm a cisgendered heterosexual woman. Right. Ex-boyfriend does you wrong. Mm-hmm. Are black women not the most detective having, being people, you know? <laughs> I mean, you can hack into, like, we should be running the government's, like... <laughs> the NSA. <laughs> yeah, like, 
We are some hacky. I mean, I, I consider myself a certified Instagram forensic specialist. Yes, thank so. you. <laughs> so what I'm saying is like, if I don't know something, I know how to figure it out. I'm sure. going to figure it out. Sure. And so <clears throat> going into it like that, I was, I was, that's part of it. Another part of it is um, I have a very high risk tolerance. I just do. It's not that I'm mm-hmm. a, a risk taker. It's not that I go like, oh, I got to be, have adrenaline all the time. But I have a high risk tolerance because when you've been broke and poor your whole life, you, there's not much mm-hmm. people can take from you that you can lose, you know, that you have to yeah. lose. So it's like, okay, I, think I know that. I think what you're describing is courage. <laughs> 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 I, think I, I was describing imposter syndrome. I think what you're describing is bravery and perhaps, courage. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm not afraid of uh, looking stupid and being wrong. That is... I, are y'all listening? <laughs> are y'all listening? Because... That is what really I I'm, I'm telling. That's what stops so many of us. My mom is always like, "I'm just amazed at like the shit you try." And I'm like, "Yeah, because at the end of the day, like if it don't work, it's not because I'm dumb. It's just because it didn't. It didn't work. work." Yeah. So what made you say it's time to make that change? Like <laughs> you, you left you left the ass and titties building. <laughs> That was, yeah, I left that, walked right into Silicon Valley. Uh, I was in Silicon Valley and I walked right into it. No, um, it, some years had passed. I got myself into uh, touring with musicians because that had been a, a lifelong um, goal of mine, dream of mine. I saw Janet Jackson perform in the first row when I was 13 years old. And I mean, from that moment, I wanted what tour, to. What tour? What tour? Uh, the Janet period tour. All right. Yes. All right. 1994. Yes. I was 13. I didn't know half of the stuff she was talking about, but I was, I knew I liked it. I knew it was. <laughs> right. Rob came on and you were yeah, like, I, I don't know like, what this I is, like, but the yes, moves. I was the like, moves. oh, but I just loved the live aspect of it so much. It was mm-hmm. like, I just was energized by it. I couldn't dance, couldn't sing, but I was like, I want to be on this, the road with this circus. I like this circus feel to it. Yes. And then to look back at the audience and just see race, all races get dancing, singing together genders, orientations, singing the same lyrics that this Black woman had told them to sing. You know what I mean? Like, it was so powerful to me and empowering. And I said, I just want to be around whatever this feeling is. And so I made it my mission to become something on the road. Uh, I I, I tracked down her tour manager when I was 15 years old. (laughs) And I met with him and interviewed him. Hilarious. Yeah, I was, I was, there was no, so I I went there and then, you know, had a lot happen in between. And then I, I I got myself to working on, on tour tours uh, that weren't indie artists, how I started. And then it was, I was 30, 31, about a decade ago. And I looked in and I saw people like Ellen and, and Ashton Kutcher and Troy Carter, who used to manage Lady Gaga as a black man who did that. They were all making investments in Silicon Valley. And I was like, why are these people who are rich and famous and having a, you know, who have an interesting life, why are, why do they care about this place? I was just so curious about it. So I started following the money. And the more I learned about it, the more I realized, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. That's, it was like coming out twice, like for the second time. It was like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, I'm a startup founder. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that there's a name for it. And there's and all these things that I was tr- I was trying, they're called moonshot ideas, quote unquote. And there's a and in Silicon Valley, 
If you have a moonshot idea and you attempt it and then it fails, you are a hero. I was like, sign me up. Okay, so wait, what is a moonshot idea? It just means the same thing we were describing before is where you don't have, you have a high risk tolerance. You dream of things that are bigger than what most people around you dream of. Oh, so like everything. Okay, so yeah, so big ideas. Yeah, these big ideas (laughs) where before I was, you know, it was the signal was, oh, you don't have health insurance. You need to get a job. You need to get, Mm -hmm. you need to do this, this, and that and be, and not be weird. This was signaling to me, oh, you are kind of, one of these people. Yeah. And so I was interested in that. So I started doing more research, which I do all the time. And then I learned, oh, but if I want to raise money or have a fighting chance in Silicon Valley, uh, I have to share ten the 10% that everyone who's not a white man gets. Because 90% of venture funding goes to white men. And, and venture funding, for folks who don't know, is yes. the pursuit of capital to start... Yeah, it's the capital that goes into mostly earlier stage companies. So it's post idea. An idea, dime a dozen. They all exist. We all have ideas. But if you've put that to, I'm going to try to get somebody who's technically inclined, they're going to put together an app for me, or we're going to get together and do some no-code stuff that's just, you know, on a website. And then we have this idea, and we're going to do where we want to have 100,000 customers one day, but we're going to start with five to prove that it works. All of that is traction. All of that is like getting started. Mm-hmm. And once you realize the idea actually works, people are paying for this. So just think of Twitter. Early days of Twitter were just people, you know, a few people texting each other. It was it was spelled differently. It looked weird. It wasn't what it is today. But they had this inkling of people like it and it's taking off. They got money infused at that inflection point. Do they go out and get it? So, for instance, like I started an app last year called SFB Society. Mm-hmm. And SFB Society is a membership community app for Black folks and allies. And the beauty of it is that that membership protects them from trolls and Karens and hoteps. And it's really blossomed <laughs> into... <laughs> it's blossomed into this... Um, you know, internal community of intellectuals, of uh, of professionals, and, yeah. you know, and also just the people who are just like, yo, like, I want to be able to have, like, laughs as well as, like, real conversations yeah. and not have to, um, you know, uh, we always say it's social media with, who, it's social media for people who want conversation without confrontation, right? Yes, yes. So we, we built this. And I invested my money into it. And I know there's a lot of us on here who are like me, where it's like, I never get past the part where I invest my own money. (laughs) I never, there's the next part. I feel like people are so much so good at like getting other people to come and invest money. And I always feel like I'm a peddler. If I do that, I'm going to say there's a couple ways here. Like, Yes, to answer your question, this would be an inflection point for you or something you've built has is working. And right. if you want it to become 10 exercise it is, or if you want if you think there's a way to monetize it in a certain way, then yes, you could go out and say, now I want to do a round of funding to prove that out. The the other thing that I'll say though is uh, even though I am an investor who looks for those types of companies, mm-hmm. I'm also the same person who came in 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I really see it as it is. Mm-hmm. And once you take outside funding, it's See, like being an employee again. My mom always says, you, you take, take their money, money, you take their shit. 
Yes, your mother is right. <laughs> Absolutely right. So you it, would so would you is, is it safe to say that if you can sustain on your own dime, do it as long as you can? I would say 100% yes. Yes. Okay. I would say that okay, so I've started I've started a couple of side hustles because I just I'm an entrepreneur and I can't help myself mm-hmm. uh even though I have this fund and I have not taken on venture funding whereas I can today if I wanted to I could put a tweet out most likely and, and pull together a few million dollars for a company. Slide flat. <laughs> there was a did you hear? No, stop. Stop. <laughs> there was a flex. I mean, I can put a tweet out and get a couple of mails. No problem. M's. I mean, y'all are out here talking about you a boss bitch because you got a Birkin, but I could really put out a tweet and get a couple of M's. So I need everybody to just real. <laughs> okay. That was the flex of the year for me. <laughs> She said that with no irony, y'all. She said that just in casual combo. Carry on. <laughs> Let me compose myself. Hold on. <laughs> that was such a flex. Oh, my God. Okay. Woo. So, mm-hmm. as I was saying, um, <laughs> it's, tr- it's true. I'm saying because of all this, the last decade, decade yeah, of work. Yeah, you put in the work. I could do. <laughs> I'm going to turn the video off. Of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a question for you, though. So you're, when you say that because of the last decade you could do that, do you feel like it's because of the connections you've made? Like, what Yeah, yes. Yes, what I'm saying. So what I, I could do that, but I've chosen not to. Mm-hmm. That's how much I believe that you should hold on to as much of your own ownership as right. you can. Right. As a person who, for a living, I make investments, and my job is to say to, to founders, let me take some of your company. Mm-hmm. I'm saying when I do my own company, I try to hold on to as much equity as I can because mm-hmm. I can you can then do what you want with that I could donate some of it if I wanted to yeah. it's not all about just me having it I could get I could you give it to family it's about that power and leverage that you have when you own it and when other people put their money in they're not just putting their money in out of the goodness of their heart they're going to have a say or want a say in what you do so if you have something there's so many people who come to backstage my fund and, and to me personally who are who are very early in their process. And they're like, if you just give me $100,000, I'll give you 20% of my company. Well, okay, the math is good for me, but what about the next seven years? You have to do this over and over again. You're going to have, what, 4% of your company at the end when you actually do sell it? Why would you rather do that than to really think about, let's do this for a couple of years on your own and build up the valuation of it, the value of it, so mm-hmm. much so that when you take the same $100,000 next time, it's for a, a fraction of that, if you're going to do it at all. And when you talk about building up the valuation of your company, that is what? That's in building all the traction. So there's a difference between what you're talking about. So you have, we'll use your company as an example. Okay. It sounds to me like you have the infrastructure in place, the, the 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 website itself and the platform itself has been built. That's a big deal. Yes. So that is something. It's built. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on how it's built, if it's built on all third party, meaning you went to a no-code place and you have this and you're pulling this and that, that's one thing. If you have technical people who have built it from scratch, that is another thing because that's mm-hmm. like a valuable thing. It's like having real estate, you know, Okay. Uh, or, versus leasing out a place. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one thing. Then the people, how many people you have in the room, in the building, 
How many people are partying in the building? Right. What did they pay to get into the front door? All of those things, you know, what's the value? Do they keep coming back or do they come in once and like, oh, I'm not going to come back every month? Do they right. come back every week? What is your, is it 30% active? Compared like to we've been told up? that we have, so we are, Mighty Networks is who built yep. our app. Yep. Um, and we've been told that our engagement is like beyond the regular scale. That yeah, we, I bet we it have, is. Because we have people that thrive in there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like we have people who've done, you know, something. I mean, I think there was like two people who've done like 20,000 engagements, like things yeah. like that. So, yeah. you know, we, so that's something that's been a learning curve for me too, is like what brings value. Like I didn't, I just thought it was based on registrants, you know, mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. and and then we learn like, no, like every time someone likes a post and all yeah. that stuff, like interaction. The, inter- the interaction, I mean, being in tech is a new world for me. Um, but I think, you know, I will absolutely tell you that this, this pandemic forced me to go into tech because Mm -hmm. I'm a live performer. So like the touring world that you come from, like I have always said, I don't need Hollywood. I always had the road. And then the road was like, gotcha, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't. Sit your ass down. And it was like. Oh man. And then like Smart, Funny and Black, which is our live show that we tour, we had to figure out how to do a virtual version of that show, you know? And so, and, and people have tried to buy it from me and I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. Well, because... that's, the, <laughs> that's the case. That's the case with uh, uh, the company itself. Because another thing you have to know is that when, especially a venture capitalist, but also angel investors, when they put their money in today, they're doing it because they not only think that you're going to keep raising money, which is a whole kind of hamster wheel, but they think that you're going to one day sell the company or go public. So if you don't have that in mind, then venture capital is not necessarily for you. And you can have a great company. A, they call it a lifestyle business, but, but whatever. It just means you're making money for yourself and it's working and you don't have to answer to most people. You know, so. Right. There's there's different there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just knowing the difference. Yeah. It's important. I mean, like Master P had once said that when the record company came and offered him a million, he yep. knew he was worth at least four. That's it. He's such a great example <laughs> of what I'm talking about. He's such a great example. And I find that um, you know, I I think, you know, when you when you when you talked about that just like you have a high you have a high risk level. I have a homeboy who is hilarious. And one day he was like, you know, I I, I, re- I hear a lot of niggas talking about this thing lately and it makes me feel like I need to get up on it. And I was like, what? And he was like, you know, it's just um this this uh audacity. Mm. I need to get me some audacity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, what you mean? And he was like, because I just feel like a lot of folks I know, they just be having the audacity to try some shit, to throw mm-hmm. some shit out there, to take a step. And he was like, you know, I just feel like maybe I need to get more audacity so I can, you know, be... It's like if you make a drastic move, you can get a drastic result type that's right. That's I'm going to add that to my resume. <laughs> I think that's what I... Didn't You're have audacious. Any money. Yeah, I didn't have any money, but I had some of that for sure. So where did the 
turn come for you? Um, you were doing all this research and you were just like, you know, I know that this is what I um, have. I, I found my my home in and I, I can relate to that completely because uh, that's how it was for me in comedy. And you and you said it was around 31, 32. And that's at the end of your Saturn returns. And in astrology, mm-hmm. like that's when you hit that point where like you've gone through the whole, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know <laughs> who I am. And you're like, oh, what's this shit over here? Yeah. And for me, that was comedy. Like all the things that you said that people like saw as flaws, you came into this space and it was your tribe and it was a place that made everything make sense. That was me for comedy. Everything people told me that was whack about me, I came, I became a comic and they were like, oh my God, all of these things are an asset to you being successful yes. in this space. Yes. So what, um, but, but again, it's one thing for me to be like, I want to do comedy and then go do open mics. It's another thing for you to be like, I feel like I should be a venture capitalist <laughs> and then be venture capitalizing. Well, so, it, it, took until that... I was, it took until I was almost 35 to actually get my first investment. So for three and a half years, after I figured this out, I uh, virtually and then in person went, you know, knocked around <laughs> and said, hey, rich person, would you like to invest in this fund that I have, this idea I have to invest in other underrepresented people who are people of color, who are women, LGBTQ. I identify as all three. Um, I think it's going to be, I think in in the very near future, tech is going to change. You know, the face of tech is going to change. We should get in now. And I knew in my heart that as soon as I said that, everybody would just open up their purses, their clutches, and they would (laughs) be ready but every, for three and a half years, people were like, either they were like, pat on the head, oh, I hope you do well, bless your heart. Or they were like, blatantly, no, that is not going to work. No one's going to give you money. I was laughed out of a room once, like physically laughed out of a, of a boardroom. I went in very earnestly. I had been, I was living at the airport. They didn't know this, so they could never know this. But I was living at the airport, didn't know if I was going to eat every day. Found my way into this boardroom. I got to t- stop you there. Okay. <laughs> I, I was going to try and keep it moving. And I just, because I need to know which airport. And I need, I just need to know the schematics. Because I went on a date with a guy who was living in a Winnebago. And I just, I had uh, questions. You had and questions. I, and, and he was like, why? He was like, you too good for me? And I was like, it's not that. I just can't comfortably fuck in this Winnebago. And I yeah. don't. Well, good thing that, okay. Well, so this was the San Francisco. Well, Winnebago is made for living, isn't it? Isn't it made for? But he didn't. I felt like he wasn't. He didn't disclose. He didn't disclose. Well, it was that he just, I just was like, I need to hear a hygiene path in this. (laughs) Uh, So I I feel better about an airport because I know there's facilities. There are facilities. There's even a yoga room at the one that I was in. I was going to say, which airport? Because if you were in the Bay, San Francisco airport ain't no slouch. Yeah, I wasn't like, like, I made a very conscious decision that I would never. That I could not, I mean, I, if I had to, I would, but I was like, if I reached the point where I'm sleeping on the outside ground, I think my soul would die. And I'm okay. just being real serious. I was like, that was a promise I made to myself. So I said, okay, where am I going? to? I don't have any money. The people who care about me the most don't have any money. They're making their way mm-hmm. across the country. Um, but I still want to, I still want to start a fund and I still, and I can't get a job. So let's, let's do this. So I said, well, so let's do you have a phone at this point? I had a phone. I have, okay. I had a phone, you know, they, they make it easy. It's, it's, it's expensive to be poor, you know, but you can get your hands on things, right. um, and pay a lot more for it. So I had a phone, I had a laptop 
I had a laptop. I had a uh, a suitcase. I used rolled up jeans as a pillow. I was <laughs> during the day. I would be out, but if I was at the airport, I would go to the Virgin Airlines section because they always had music on, and then I would go down later further to get away. And I would always just kind of tell myself so that it would kind of get out there, you know, in in my emoting that I was I was someone who just missed their flight. You know, it was it, it's very poetic, but it was the way that I, I kept myself going. I just simply missed my flight today and keep going. Um, but that I, you know, they do have facilities and there's a lot of stuff I have. I struggle with like OCD and certain things. So it was not the, it was very mm. mentally uh, draining for me yes. to be there. Slug bodies. Yeah. So it was all of that. But I did it to, because I said, where can I go that's indoors where there's access to food if I can get the money for it mm-hmm. and that I feel safe. And to me, Fair. That was it. I have to know, have you since flown Virgin? Let me tell you something. The first, (laughs) so after I got started working, um, and I also had these other income streams that I built, um, I I said, the first time I get any kind of status on a flight, on on an airline, it's going to be Virgin. So I was triple, dipple, flipple, (laughs) goal status. And not only that, uh, that and Delta, because, you know, Black. Not only that, landed in San Francisco about once every two weeks for work. And most times would pass by where I slept. And every time I did, I can still kind of see it, you know, the path that I take. I would get emotion. I would get, you know, I would know what was going right on. right now. <laughs> I'm emotional. I'm like, she better have a script in process for this. Yeah, my 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 book, It's About Damn Time, has been... Um, option but also I'm, I'm buying the option back because <laughs> i like equity that makes sense yes yeah. so so you got somebody and why do you think this particular person what do you think was the difference with this person and why they invested i'm gonna say her name susan kimberlin i will as much money as i ever raise in life and as i ever make in life i will always remember this woman for giving me twenty five thousand. i mean $50,000 when I had nothing. I didn't even have my own bank account because I didn't know any better. Um, she, I knew her for a couple of months. I met her out in, in, the, in the Bay Area. And she wanted to do some sort of, she's a white woman, worked at PayPal, Salesforce, had, been, had started being angel investing. And she wanted to do something impactful, but she didn't know exactly how. But where did you meet her? Because I think this is a this is these are the parts of the of the conversation that never really get talked mm-hmm. about. It's like, mm-hmm. like where do you run into a Susan Kimberton? You know, like because I think a <laughs> yeah. lot because really like a lot of folks. It's the same way that people be like, how can I get a man? Like, well, if yeah. you can't go, you can't just go to the check cashing spot. Like the nigga yeah. you want is not there. Mm. Um, so where do you find a Susan? So glad I don't have to deal with that. Um, <laughs> So this particular case, so I was living in, in right outside of Austin, Texas. I had moved there uh, with my mother. We were staying in an Airbnb. We got kicked out of the Airbnb because we couldn't afford it anymore. So then while I was there, they tell I, I, I sign up for this thing at Stanford University for two weeks that's going to be an uh, investing course at Stanford. Okay. And so I'm like, I got to go there. It costs $18,000. I had $18, if, if a penny. And I said, okay, well, how am I going to do that? So then they gave scholarships. Eggs, but eggs. If, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
if you're if you were a woman, they were doing a half off kind of scholarship. So okay. I got that. And oh, you then did. I had to, yes. And then what I had you to, have get, to do like an essay. You just, no, you just had to get three people to vouch for you. So I just wrote to like 30 people. And I said, can you please, I mean, Austin, and I told him the whole story and I said, this is what I want to do. This, I've been th- working on this. Were these people you knew or people you no. researched that support? No, no, no. I didn't. There were people I researched who worked in tech um, because I, I had done this before to get my my, my jobs in, in touring. I had okay. reached out to 100 people and I did this whole thing that I talk about in the book where I reached out to 100 people, got 20 responses, got three in-person meetings, got one gig and just kept going. And that's how I did it. Can I tell a quick story? Please. In 2014, I woke up on July 5th and I had no idea where my next check was coming from. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, (laughs) how are you going to pay rent? And I cried about it for 24 hours. I gave myself a solid 24, I call it 24 hours of tears. Uh, So I gave myself 24 hours of tears. And then I sat and just thought about who do I know? Who do I know that knows people? Like who are people I've heard of? And I did the same thing. I wrote emails to folks Mm -hmm. just asking, like, are you looking for content? Are you looking for content? Are you looking for content? And I got like, maybe out of 25, I got like two responses. And, Mm -hmm. and one of those responses, she kind of kept me on the hook for like three weeks. And then I finally had to be like, Hey, we've canceled the call a couple times. And <laughs> is it possible? And she tried to get mad and was like, You're being rude. And I was like, I'm not being rude. I'm really just very earnest about getting the opportunity to talk to you. And I will always say that person's name because it's Shawnee Saxon Parish. And she ended up being the reason I could move to Los Angeles mm. because. Eventually, I got to pitch to her, you know, and I got to, and she tried, she did one little episode of a web series and then, okay, she did like three more episodes. And then I finally just came in her office and was like, listen, I need to change my life. And the only way that I'm going to be able to do it is if I get a consistent check. And um, would you, would you be able to help me with that? And she was like, I'm just going to pick up the um, show. I'll pick up the show. And me being able to get like money every week, what? (laughs) Is what allowed me to be able to build up enough of a nest egg to move a year later. So like, I know a lot of us out here, like you think it takes a bunch of people. It'd be taking one person to change your life. One person. And Susan, she told me, she gave me $25,000. To invest in somebody else, because that's what I was going to be investing at the mm-hmm. beginning, and twenty five thousand to invest in myself and myself, and so I set up shop, mm-hmm. and I, bec- I mean, I had made twenty five dollars stretch days and days and days, so twenty five thousand, please. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, baby, I'm you good. Like, man, you know. Um, but but I all I said I said if somebody just can get me to zero, if somebody can just get me where I'm not hungry, yeah. You know, then, then I can do the rest. Give me the rest. I'll go for it. And I've 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 raised millions of dollars since then. But I'll always remember that one. And so she helped you get there. But like, what do you think? Because 
she could have also just have been the last person. So That's like, absolutely right. Yeah. So like, what did you do with that money that allowed you to be able to make your fund more attractive to other folks? Let me say this. It was the, the answer to that question, but it was also the five years previous, the three and a half years previous. It was the every single day, every time I got a rejection, I wasn't just sitting there saying, oh, I got rejected. I said, well, let me let me find another book to read. Let me have another piece of information because that's what I can control. I can control the information that I have, the knowledge I have so that I can be ready for that opportunity. So one of the reasons Susan invested in me was because I was able to help her diligence and look at a deal that she was looking at mm -hmm. and give her insights into that deal that she did not have herself because I had spent the last three and a half years asking for money, yes, but also become, I say, I call it becoming the asset. If you don't have money, mm -hmm. you become money. So I was becoming- oh, Say it again. Say it again, Arlen. I said, if you don't have money, you become money. You see, y'all, you become the currency. Yes, the asset. Because money, sir, I, I like I said, I'll, if anybody's just joining, you know, um, I don't know why that would happen in a podcast. But if they are <laughs> um, 35 years poor and though more recently around people with money and having money myself, I know for sure it's not just something I saw on a, on a board. Money attracts money. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have it to begin with, how do you attract it? You become it. So I was ready because I was, I did not go and party. I did not celebrate. I did not. I went and got myself a little um, grocery store sushi and a cupcake. And I got my butt on a plane to Los Angeles. I went and got a co-working spot where I could have a, access to a printer and a conference room. I went to, and I got ready to everybody I had talked to before. I said, I have an office now. This is my address. Right. I'm married now. You know, like I was yeah. like. I was married now. <laughs> I was like, let's go. And, and I those just, were the same people that said, it's going to rain on your head. Yeah. And look yeah, at yeah. them motherfuckers now. And then, the, and then also, in addition to reading and learning um, and, and anecdotally, I learned practically because I kept up with so many founders, so many entrepreneurs who I'm saying, this is who I want to invest in. Yeah. So I didn't just leave them and say, well, I'm going to come back when I have money. I kept up with them and kept saying, getting a pulse and a reading. Do you all still need this type of funding? What other resources do you need so I can be thinking about this holistically? And, and can I do something for you now that doesn't take money? And mm, staying in that that groove with them so that I knew who to invest in. I also um, had deal flow. They call it deal flow when you have other deals in the pipeline. So I had people saying, I want you to be an investor. Because believe it or not, in Silicon Valley and other spots in the country that do this type of funding, there's a money is like easy for most people there. It's about who do you who do the uh, entrepreneurs want the money from? So you had to become really oh. valuable to them. And what what is the like? What are the deciding factors that make people determine? Okay, I want money from this, but not this person, or but not this person. Yeah, it just depends on who you are as a founder. But what I found, we have 180 companies now, which is a lot of companies for a venture fund. That's just not normal. But we have 180 companies, so about 300 founders and what they like about us at backstage is like we're first of all we're we're real with them we we don't you know take them on a ride and tell them all the things we're going to do for them and then only do one we're real we say we can do this we can't do that 
Um, we don't put a lot, we hadn't put in the past, put a lot of money into their individual companies because we didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. but I wrote my first million dollar check last year. And so we're you, another flex, flex. <laughs> flex number two. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I ain't never wrote a million dollar check. You're going to, you're going to hate me then. Cause I, I've, I, I raised $5 million on Twitter and Instagram uh, last week. For, for what? For operations, for backstage. You better raise money on the Twitters. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, and that's a whole other thing. That's crowdfunding, which I do also suggest to people. There could be, I mean, we know about Kickstarter, of course. We know about that. But there's also equity crowdfunding where you put money in and you may or may not get a perk with it, but you definitely get equity in that company. And some of these can be done with people who are who are not accredited, which means that you can be anybody who wants to put $100 or more into a company. And it's a whole thing, but I think that's the future. And that is not the same thing as people who send me um, Venmo requests to invest in their quote unquote no. company. Oh, Just no. so we're clear, that's no. not the same thing. No, and, yeah, the Instagram DMs are just. I can I I don't even know your DMs must look banoodles. My DMs are just full of white people telling me I'm racist, but your DMs. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> mine, mine are. I mean, I have some wonderful ones that are just beautiful. You know, you made me feel yes. like I can start something, and you got me out of this rut or whatever. Then I have people who are just like. I want to go to school and I heard you do scholarships. Can you, this is my address and my wire information. (laughs) This is my cash app. This is my cash app. I'm like, but, but, or people are like, okay, I have the next Facebook and it's also like YouTube and it's also like Twitter (laughs) and it's Clubhouse too. And it's going to be a billion dollar company. And I'll, and if I, I don't respond to those, but if I do, I'll say, yeah, can you go apply at backstagecapital.com slash apply? Because that's what we have this for, which anybody here can do. And they'll respond, um, you, you're missing out. You don't know nothing. And it's just like when you're walking down the street and a guy pulls up and he's like, yeah, come on, ride that. And you say, no, no. And they say, you slut. And you're like, you, you dirty bitch. You yeah. raggedy bitch. Yeah, because you said, no, it's the same vibe. So I have a lot of that in my DMs. You know, we we called this episode Side Effects of Being Underestimated. There's so many gems in here that you have dropped about just what it means to come from behind, right? And and the ways in which you change or you 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 create momentum to come from behind, right? And I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing that I've gotten from this conversation is really just the the affirming that it it really is in us. And I think a oh, lot yeah. of times we can talk ourselves out of we can talk ourselves out of that like of course don't get me wrong there is systemic racism there is systemic patriarchy like there's toxic masculinity all of these things are actual impediments right because for what it's worth you would have met susan kimberl you would have had eight susan kimberlins if you were like probably just a yeah. straight white male that's probably right? true yes um and they might have been like just even if they weren't knocking on your door they may have been a lot more willing to hear what you had to say. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, they wouldn't have felt like they were doing so much risk-taking. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I think that Susan is a very uh, brave person, but it, it was had to be a risk because of who I was and who I was investing in. And you're, to your point, you're absolutely right. If, it, if I were doing investing in other people or a different person, it wouldn't be seen as a risk. Would you... 
So would you say that backstage also helps to position these companies that are quote unquote considered risky? It helps to be the voice to these other uh, money sources um, because you raise money. You raise yeah. like that's we what- help them raise money too. So I would say it has a couple of effects. Sometimes it me it means like if you're a founder who got investment from backstage, sometimes people say, Oh, okay, they're investing in black people, that's why you got it. So yeah. there's still that that we have to rage against every single day. Okay. But most of the time it's like this badge of honor. It's like this certain school you went to. Like yeah. oh you got because we invest in only two percent of what we see. There are so many talented yeah. people out there making these companies. Um, and we, you know, we, we invest in a very small amount because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what it's venture. That's what venture capital is. Uh, but the idea of it was the whole point of backstage was to be a, an active case study, to be a living, breathing case study of what is possible. And so we don't want to be the, the, the last of anything. And we, we want it to be something that can be replicated, you know, open source is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And, and we want it to be replicated, duplicated, uh, flatter us all day and 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 bite from it. You know that's what we bite want. from us. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And on top of that, what we hope and what I hope personally is that one day we put ourselves out of business because we no longer invest in underrepresented. Hopefully, we're just represented, and we're right. no longer. Needed. You're now right. Your hook isn't even valuable yeah. anymore because yeah. it's now just so normal. Yeah, yeah we're going to become the the big the fat cats pretty one day, and it's going to be okay. You're not the underdog anymore. Do you feel like um, things have are, are shifting? Well, actually, before I ask that, um, what is a like? What are the deciding factors for you to to take on a company for backstage? There are a few. Uh, I I really do care about the founders because they're the ones who are going to steer the ship for the longest, and so there's a certain X factor there of like. They call it pattern matching. Usually it's pattern matching for Mark Zuckerberg, but I'm pattern matching for me, which is like, I call it being hungry, not thirsty. So okay. you're, you're, you know, you got that passion, you, you have that, you're going to, that staying power, but you're not out there desperate and just flailing because yes. nobody needs that. Um, also, if w- what you're working on works, if it does scale and get bigger, what sort of impact does it have on the world? Um, you know, because I, as older I get, I want to, the more I want to back things that have a lot of like impact so I can live through that person, basically, mm-hmm. you know, I yeah. want it to mean something. And so the fifth company that comes to me trying to tell me how they're going to deliver the next cupcake, although I will be eating that cupcake and I will be using Fair. that product, of course. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily like, oh, that's where I want to put, because it's so hard to, to, you know, to raise it, you know, on a serious matter, we have raised a small amount compared to most venture funds. And so because that money is hard for us to raise, I want to put it behind something that's impactful. And also, you know, how far have you gone with what you've had? Even if you had few resources, what have you done with what you've had? Because I'm looking at that from my point of view of, you can do a lot broke. You can do a lot with people not believing in you. Do you use it as an excuse or do you use it as fuel? And, you know, that kind of plays out in our, in our portfolio. I really find it, um, I just really find all this fascinating because I I really feel like the money space, you know, and just entrepreneurship as a whole in America is, 
it's it's a dirty game, you know? It's very dirty. It's very, like, muddy. And I know for me as an entrepreneur, I am constantly trying to check myself and make sure that my morals are still in place um, as I am in pursuit of, you know, capital, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I asked the question, do you think it's possible to be an ethical capitalist? Oh, I think it is because I am one. I don't know how pervasive that is. I don't know how many people feel Mm -hmm. that way. I think everybody's a hero in their own story. So most people think they are. I could be wrong myself, right? Andrew Jackson is in hell right now. Just like, yeah, "Yeah, I I did what needed to get done. You know? (laughs) But but, so I think it's possible, but I think it's interesting. I mean, the, the question you're posing is interesting in the way that most of this conversation, I've tried to tell people not to get venture capital, even though that's my line of business. So maybe I know that it's, probably possible but it's is it so difficult to achieve that I don't necessarily want to do that you know for the rest of my life I just think I just would rather see a thousand millionaires than one billionaire I know that I also want to spend every moment catalyzing other people I know that too and and whatever that title is in my bio I don't think matters I feel you um do you think Jeff Bezos should be paying taxes? Yes, he should. Ditto. I also order from Amazon twice a week. So, <laughs> where you know, nobody's... Nobody's pure! There's nuance. There's nuance. No, nobody's pure. The screen. Arlen, this has just been such a delight and a treat. And um, there's been a um, wealth of information that you've given us. But I know that in order for you to get to this point, you have lists, you have mentioned a couple of times that you just research and you read and you read. So, you know, for our segment, The Script, we always like to give our audience, you know, just some supplementary materials, uh, (laughs) you know, and other... uh, other ways in which they can continue to support the conversation. So can you give us any books or movies or uh, YouTube videos that you feel like helped you along your path to, to this space? Yeah. Well, I talk about people ask me to be their mentor a lot. And I say, my mentors didn't know me, you know, it came through books and it came through videos and things like that. So I used to watch a Will Smith video over and over again. He didn't put it out, but it was like a collection of his quotes. I think it's still on YouTube. It's like 10 minutes long, and it's just a collection of his quotes to inspire you, uh, where he says things like, you know, I'm not going to be the smartest person in the room, but I'm going to be the person that stays on the the treadmill the longest. All those things kind of help. The affirmations. Yeah, they kind of help create what this is today. Also, a book by Oprah. Uh, I know I'm going real mainstream, but it's truly helped me. All this stuff helped me. So she has a a book called What I Know For Sure. Hmm. And what I love about this book is you can read it once a year. And the more you go through, the more it me- it means something, it unfolds for you. And so, you know, she, she breaks it down talking about, you know, she, her, she became the ATM for her friends and family and all the, you know, all those things just kind of like, just hit you at the right. When I was 34, I was like, what is, of course she should be that. <laughs> can, can I get the pin number? You know? Right, right, right. 
on the other side. I mean, I did. There's a conversation going on right now. I mean, I am I am not a Jenner Kardashian fan, but there's this conversation going on around Kylie Jenner because she uh, she has a somebody she knows who's a makeup artist who got in a fight or an oh yes they had an accident and yes and GoFund. so she, she put up their GoFundMe and she had also donated and people were like why are you asking us to donate to this GoFundMe when you yeah, could just fund it when you could just fund it yeah I mean uh, we could go on but I, Taylor Swift did that she she paid for her backup dancer who is a black man she paid for his niece's surgery and didn't tell anybody he told somebody about it but that's somebody that she works with. I just feel like people will always determine what you should do with your money. Oh, and I see. So you're on the you're on the side that she should have done that. No, I'm on the side that you do what feels right for you, mm. and that you know sometimes that's sketchy. Uh, but in this, but I think that when it comes to paying for other people's shit, yeah. like that's a really Oh, kind I see what of, you're saying. Yeah, it's very specific. Yeah, it's it's like it's yeah. We it's have a, a case by case by case by case. You know, I feel like I try and make sure that I am always paying it forward. Right? Mm-hmm. That like mm-hmm. I am using a portion of my money to give to folks who need it. You know, for mm-hmm. a bevy of purposes. I I would say education is probably the most. Um, education and travel are probably the most things I donate to like young people getting the opportunity to get out of this country and see something bigger than what they want them to see. Like that's something I really try and, and eventually, uh, and by eventually I'm hoping like by next year, I would like to have a scholarship fund for smart, Mm -hmm. funny and black. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I have to learn, I have to figure out how you build that within the guidelines of this IRS, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I can help you there. Yeah. Yeah, I have a scholarship with my mother. We we did the first scholarship for a black scholar at Oxford and then the uh, scholarship at Dillard University. So we do one I do. I would love to do a scholarship in partnership with the Institute for Research and African American Studies at Columbia because that's where I went. Boom. Yeah, you can. I mean, the nonprofit, the, the scholarship part and the nonprofit side can be can be done. I can help you with that. Because that nonprofit shit. Ooh, Arlen, it'd be scaring me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot, but nonetheless, but that's so cool. I love the travel thing. That's because that's education in itself. That could be one, one vertical is education and travel is the same. I was filming the other day and this, um, this woman was walking by and she was like, Amanda, I just want to thank you because you donated to a student of mine four years ago who was trying to go to the Dominican Republic and we had a whole group of kids and you donated and you put it on your Instagram and everyone donated and we were able to do the trip and now three of our students are going to to these different schools. And I was like... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, and... um, But I think that when it comes down to it, it's like the ethics of capitalism ends up being more socialism. That's yeah. what the most yeah. ethical capitalists end up being socialists. Because you know how twice you made me laugh so hard that I would get the ugly, ugly laugh. Because <laughs> you were saying I was flexing. Because that I, the reason I did that is because it doesn't even register to me that I'm raising millions. What I care about is oh, I was able to give somebody right thousand dollars. Oh, okay, donate a thousand. Like that part is cool. That's like good. right now, we do smart, funny, and black in the crib. It's a virtual show. And like, we sell tickets and I'm like, I just, I would love for us to not have to charge for this show. I would love for Mm -hmm. us to have a sponsor for Mm -hmm. this show 
so that we can do this show for free because the show is all about using comedy to uh, in, to increase community and to empower and to give people a, a connectivity that they don't have. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't want to charge for this. I would, I, I, I wish this could be a free show like versus is a free thing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, but I also know that I have to pay for a staff and I have to mm-hmm. pay for the platform, et cetera, et cetera. And so the other part of this thing too, is like, I commend you because you have a skill I don't have. I going to people and being like, Hey, can we, that is so difficult for me. Mm-hmm. When I was a poet, let me tell you, when I was a poet, at the end of everybody's set, they'd be like, all right, I have CDs for sale. And they would go around to everybody and with their CDs. And I would be like, I'll be in the back at this table on the left-hand side. And it was like, I know that I could have gotten way more sales yeah. if I had just been willing. But it's like, I don't know if it's an ego thing or, it, you know, it's not. It's really a, I don't want to impose like, oh. I feel like that's what it'd be feeling like. Like, I don't, I just, I don't, ooh, ah, mm, mm, oh, mm. I think about it as uh, because I'm the asset, I'm offering you value in exchange for capital. Well, I've had to get, I've, Arlen, I've had to really work to get there. Yeah. So now I've gotten way better at being like, yo, we got this dope show or yo, we got this. Do-. Like, I, I mean, I've had to, because when you're pitching TV shows, that's what you have to do. You have to go in the room and be like, whether y'all fuck with this or not, like this is the fly the shit. Ball. You want to get yeah. into this. Yeah. It's very, it's rapper energy. So, so Arlen, you have rapper energy. I mean, that's really what it is. You can be, <laughs> you know, MC Arlen Ham. And like... Uh, did you hear that, Rook? That's my brother. He's a rapper. <laughs> because that's what rapper energy is. Rapper he, energy he call, is, He's been calling me a bookworm since I was a kid. So he's, I, I don't know, I'm going to put that on loop. That's going to be his Put it on loop, yeah. MC Arlen Ham because rapper energy is going into every room like, I'm the baddest motherfucker in here. Get on my level. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're underestimated, you have to know, like they're, they're already underestimating you. So you have to go into that room and be able to know what you know about you, um, Mm -hmm. unequivocally and be able to have, but, and be able to do so in a genuine way. And that's what I think is, is really the, the takeaway from all of this is like, when you said, that you had five, you had 35 years of knowing where you came from and knowing the value of that. Mm-hmm. And that that was just as equitable as, you know, Susan Kimberton and her money, right? Mm-hmm. And so you were able to like really do, that's just a beautiful thing. And um, I feel very like, I gotta <laughs> like get it together. <laughs> in front of a million people but it's like (laughs) telling somebody like hey you want to give us money for this thing i'd be like yeah well i had to keep the lights on too so i i learned how to not only raise capital but to earn it in the last five years so it's i guess it is a skill but it's it can be learned by anybody can be learned by anybody one thing i have had to learn how to do is as a creative i do know how to create shit that people want Mm-hmm. Like I paid my bills for quite some time off of painting hand painted bags and selling them on MySpace. Mm-hmm. And like I would wake up in the morning and be like, okay, so we're gonna sell two bags today. Yeah. Um, and then I remember we I did a one woman show and I I didn't get a million on the Twitters, mm-hmm. but I got eight thousand on the Twitters. 
Um, I just sat, I just camped out on Twitter one night and was like, mm-hmm. you're not going to get off Twitter until you fund. And let me tell y'all what Arlen said about money attracts money. So I was on Twitter like, okay, y'all just give me a dollar. Just give me $10, give me $5. And then when people would like donate a dollar, I would like type in their name or I would be like, yo, thank you for this dollar. And then the spirit of competition sparks in people and people be feeling like, fuck that. I got 50 shit. I'm going to give me my, I'm going to give my 50. And so the next thing I knew, it was like I had set up this energy where people felt like they needed to outdo. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting three $500 donations that night yeah. Yeah. that never would have happened. Yeah. I mean, $8,000 off of Twitter is like, I'm never going to sneeze at that. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, this was in 2012. Yeah. So it was a different time, but I, um, but, and, and I've crowdfunded. Two years in my income. <laughs> well, I had an agent who didn't want me to do, she didn't want me to do my second season of my web series because she was like, if you crowdfund, it makes you look bad. And I said, why does it make me look bad? And she was like, because it's going to make you look like you're begging. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, I mean, I am. How much money <laughs> did she have? She didn't give, <laughs> exactly. She didn't get no money to my web series. I needed 26000 to do the web series. And she was just like trying to get me to sign with these other web base with, you know, and companies that, you know, just kind of weren't really going to do anything other than, you know, throw some money at it and, and hopefully, you know, Mm -hmm. get, it would get seen. But long story short, I was like, no, um, I'm going to crowdfund because I need this to get made. And I don't want to wait on other people to say yes, when I can create the yes. Oh yeah. yeah. And I was, I'm very fortunate because people gave and I remember like, I think like Nick Cannon gave like 1500 mm-hmm. and I was able, and he, I was like, can I say that you gave 1500? And once I said that Nick Cannon gave 1500, other people were like, Oh, well then I'll get, you know, and next yes. thing I knew I was able to fund it and we did a second season and, and doing that second season, I was able to learn so much about the craft of creating a show and, you know, being a better leader and performing and, you know, so all of these things, all of these, and, and nobody saw that second season. Let me just say that, Arlen, ain't nobody seen this damn show. Like I'm about to drop it later this year and it'll be like the first time anyone's seen it because nobody saw it, but the, the experience of doing it was so valuable and it created currency for me now mm-hmm. years later because I've done it and I've had to do something from nothing. The last dose. Everybody listening, you know, just trust that like everybody's journey is unique. And when we say like run your own race, that's not like a cliche thing. It really is a real Thing because you just don't know when your time. Joan Rivers didn't pop off till she was 55. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Arlen, I thank you so much for being so transparent and um, for really just showing us how to casually flex. You know, that's <laughs> a skill in itself that I feel like all of us are really appreciative <laughs> that we got to experience um, because the casual yeah. flex is an art form. Uh, I feel like I need to uh, have you do a course on casual flexing uh, <laughs> or SFP society people you can get arlen's book it's about time it is available everywhere books are sold by the way uh when i when my book came out people would ask me where do i get your book and i was like where they sell books yeah. um yeah so just to be clear uh 
Amazon, I'm sure, sells It's About Time. Amazon does sell it. You can go to It's About Damn Time. It's About, it's about Damn, damn time. time. And you can find all kinds of places to get it, including indie places, Black-owned places, et cetera. I, per- I personally like to purchase my book from Black-owned indie places. So mm-hmm. uh, Uncle Bobby's, which is Mark Lamont yeah. Hill's bookstore yeah. in Philadelphia, you know, that's always a good spot. And um, the Lit Bar in the Bronx, New York as well. And Mahogany Books in Washington, D.C. All great Black independent booksellers that really do a lot to support Black uh, authors. And so they all thank carry you. the book. And they all carry the book. So Arlen, thank you so much. Um, you are a vessel of information and inspiration, and I can't wait to see what else goes down with backstage. And um, you know, again, and I and I will be contacting you about setting up a fund, uh, a scholarship fund because it's awesome. something I really want to do. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on here. I had a lot of fun. Um, tripped out way too much. 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 <laughs> Good. That's good. That means we did it right. We yes. did it right. Thank you so much for the for the uh for the time. Oh my goodness! That was fabulous. You see, I be knowing y'all. I be knowing. Like that over as that was just that was just beyond my expectations. I want to thank Arlen Hamilton for hanging out with us and really just giving us many a word and a, a lesson in flexing. Uh, you know, that, that it's, um, I think, you know, we, we, we always talk about kind of like this idea of like overnight success, P- particularly, I feel like it comes a lot in like Hollywood, but in general, you know, if you are a, member of any of these groups, if you're a woman, if you're POC, if you're LGBTQIA, a lot of times you really are that it's going to feel like that because you have to work so hard to get to that turnover point. And Arlen sharing her story with us really uh, was not only inspiring, but it was just so admirable, all of the steps that she was taking. And particularly when she just, it really centered around researching and how valuable that can be. And we have lived in a nation for at least the last four years, but it, it really is an American thing where we just don't value information. We don't value education the way other places do. And she is a prime example of how knowledge is power. A prime example. And so much of this information is free for us to access. And a lot of times I I get, listen, I get it. I will tell you, there's so much I don't know just because I haven't made time to go know it. There's so much I don't know because the resources that it's presented in aren't like interesting to me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so her kind of just giving us a crash course, really just so appreciative. So check, check out her book. It's about damn time. Arlen Hamilton gave us a word and a flex, baby. So y'all go out there and and get your capitalization on uh, in a moral and ethical fashion. <laughs> and remember that nine times out of ten, the way the things that people are using to underestimate you are actually the assets that you can use to propel you forward. Star Bands Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.